Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And welcome to the program that uh, provides two distinctly different perspectives about legal stories. We try to talk about the top legal stories of the week, and there are a lot of them this week. Um, And, of course... uh, I consider myself a libertarian, and uh, wh- whatever I consider myself, I am a baby boomer. Sure. I mean, I guess I could identify as could a Generation X or Let's whatever. See how that works. But it would be mathematically wrong. Yeah. And uh, Connor, you are millennial and progressive. Are you are you still comfortable with these labels? Yeah, absolutely. I love labels. I'm a big label guy. Good. I good. only buy. Well, how would you know it's mayonnaise instead of Miracle Whip? Exactly have to have labels. Mm-hmm. So, um, as usual, we're going to try to cover three big stories. And this week, we have kind of a theme show, yeah. Connor, because the theme is freedom. Freedom! Topic number one. Oh, the lack thereof. Britney Spears, free at last. Free, free at, at last. last. Yeah. Uh, I was down at the uh, courthouse on Wednesday and saw the craziness. They actually shut down the street uh, there next to the courthouse, adjacent to the Los Angeles Music Center. Uh, the Britney fans were out in force. So we're going to talk about her freedom. Second uh, freedom issue, R. Kelly, he has pissed away his freedom. He's going to go to jail nice. for a long, nice. long time. And third and finally, John Hinckley is about to taste freedom as long as he keeps his nose clean for the next several months. Mm. So uh, we're going to get to all of those issues. Also, our uh, wonderful feature, Guess the Verdict, where Connor is presented with some real live facts about a case, and he gets to guess the outcome of the court case. Before we get to uh, the top story about Britney Spears, though, I I just can't resist uh, observing Connor. Maybe there are Obama and Bush judges after all. Do you, do you think? What? I know that's cynical. No. You know, several are years you, ago. Wait, are you telling me that mommy doesn't disappear when she puts her hands in front of her eyes? Something like that. So several <laughs> yes, years ago. Yes, you're right. Judges are humans. Donald Trump was critical of a judge. And Chief Justice Roberts, who normally doesn't comment on political stuff, couldn't hold back. And he came out and said, you know, there aren't any Obama judges or Bush judges. They're just hardworking, honest federal court judges. So that is a his, very optimistic world. His point of view. Yeah. And I I just have to note that we lost uh, to resignation a member of the California Supreme Court very recently, Justice Cuellar. And uh, he is retired. Left to center. We we lost him, but he 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 didn't die. He just retired. He retired. Even though these are life positions, he chose to retire. That's true. And he's going to uh, be the head of a think tank and probably triple his salary. Not bad. So good for him. But the thing is, he waited until the very day after the Governor Newsom recall result Mm -hmm. was final. Right. And I just have to think that maybe if Larry Elder, for example, had uh, won the governorship, Justice Cuellar would have hung on. I, hold on a second. I have to check the microphone here because I, I don't want to blow it out when I say, Doy, obviously that's the case. Obviously humans are politically... the captain obvious the situation? No, the, yeah, the notion that, that, that um, you know, the, the... So the chief justice was wrong? It isn't, we don't have Obama yeah, and Bush fact, judges? Yeah, but, I mean, isn't, doesn't this put a fine point on just how political it is? I mean, it's so clear right. that he... 
he decided to take the big step and resign only after yeah. he was assured that the you know wacky Larry well, Elder couldn't replace that, him. That John Roberts and Stephen Breyer and and everybody else who's out there saying there are no Obama judges or Trump judges, we just call balls and strikes. Uh, the idea that there it's like saying there are no Democratic or Republican voters. They just call balls and strikes. You know, people will make the rational decision. We know that people don't make decisions absent their biases that they come in with. And they shouldn't. They should make informed decisions based on their life experience, based on the reasons that they formed political opinions. If you had a judge who truly called balls and strikes and never thought about the political implications of any case before it showed up in front of him or her, that judge would be a crazy person. They would be using... You're no okay with Trump's appointees uh, hewing to the, the Trump line for decades? not okay with that because they're coming to the wrong conclusion. But that's the only reason I'm not okay with it. I'm not not okay with people with judges making political decisions thinking about the political so you're saying you're, of their you're okay with democrat uh, appointees um using their own biases and personal experiences uh, but you're not okay with trump appointees doing I, the same thing I, I i in the same way that i'm okay with progressive lawmakers passing progressive laws and i'm not okay with conservative lawmakers <laughs> passing conservative laws the idea that that people think of of of, uh, of judges as handling like one case in front of them and therefore they should put aside all biases and deal with the uh, individual facts of that case and of course that is true but if the individual facts of one case are going to impact the individual facts of lots of future cases, then it becomes a political decision. And guess what? They all do. So every decision that a judge makes is a political decision, especially at the level where their decisions are precedential on, you know, hold binding on other judges in other cases. And they have to think about that in the same way that passing a law in Congress, they have to think about the implications of how this law will work and be implemented a year from now or two years from now. If you had some sort of judge who just said, well, I'm going to call balls and strikes and I'm not going to pay attention to what's going to happen after I come to this conclusion, that would just be shutting off an entire part of their job. Their job is thinking about the political implications. Well, of I, their I guess we just have to agree or disagree. I, I kind of like the uh, ball and strike uh, mm. type of judge. Yeah. Uh, it, but uh, that, that's for another day. You like ball and strike congressmen too? They're the same people. They're all human. Yeah, sometimes you sound like Jerry Seinfeld. There. I did. That, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty What's good. What's the deal with Congress? <laughs> so Britney Spears, free at last. I, I'm just wondering what you think, Connor, about why there was so much attention paid to this. I mean, she's famous and so on, but she's not as not hugely gigantically famous. Yeah, the New I mean, York Times, was. the Wall Street Journal, all the major newspapers, yeah. reported heavily on Wednesday's activity. And what happened, if, if you haven't followed the Britney saga, is uh, yeah. 13 years ago, uh, she seemed to be kind of whacked out and shaved off all her hair, probably in an attempt to not allow them to to take a, a lock of her hair and test for drugs. Arguably. And so the judge approved a conservatorship and her dad was installed to, to run the business and uh, another conservator was installed to watch after her health, physical and mental and so on. And for 13 years, the dad now has been accused of uh, uh, playing games with the money. He's gotten like 15 grand a month. He's up to about $2.3 million. Not he gets one and a half percent of her, you know, $160 million fortune for, for dancing at her Las Vegas residency. And uh, so now she's been speaking out saying that, you know, this is yeah. like slavery and I want to be free. And he's telling me what medication to take. He won't. He's telling me whether I can use birth control or not. 
And so on Wednesday, the hearing was held as to whether the dad should be kicked out. And the judge said, absolutely, this is toxic. You know, he ought to be kicked out. And so she replaced him with a conservator proposed by Brittany's new lawyer, this pit bull lawyer who's her, her big gladiator now. And right. weirdly, the, the husband, uh, that is the father, Jamie Spears, argued for totally dumping him off of the case instead of just suspending this so he would be uh, around technically while this temporary replacement does right. their work. And the reason apparently he did that is because if he's still a suspended conservator, he has to hand over all sorts of documents and materials. Mm. And Jamie... Uh, and, and that is Britney's da- uh, lawyer is going to go after the dad and right. sue him for malfeasance and so on. Yeah. But I mean, having been there at the courthouse, you know, I, I've been to that particular civil courthouse in downtown Los Angeles for many high profile trials over many years. I've never seen crowds like this. I've never wow. seen them block the road. Yeah. They shut it down so that Britney's fans could sing and read poems and give speeches yeah. in support of her. I think it's a perfect storm. You know, I think you have uh, somebody who was uh, a pop star during millennials formative years and, you know, elder millennials formative years. Right. And so the a the people who are now age 30 to 40 saw at, well, I'd say 20, 25 to, to 45 or something. They had, you know, a front row seat to her career. They're very similar, close in age. They had a strong emotional connection and impact. Uh, when they, you know, watched her music and and saw her concerts and stuff like that. And she has this really great universally positive image. Then she has a major crisis that looks like, you know, it looks very relatable. People understand the pressures of fame. A lot right. of people understand the pressures of fame. And they see her crash and burn in the public eye. And she gets a lot of crap for it. And then there's a big backlash to that. And there's a big learning moment where a lot of people say, oh, yeah, she got a really raw deal. Yeah. And I think also there's the freedom angle. I mean, for right. for the hus- for the father to say, you have to take birth control. Right. Keep your ID. Yeah. yeah. I mean, arguably, he's saying, I don't want you to get involved with somebody that you shouldn't be involved with. It's terrible. But uh, also, maybe there's a side benefit. He makes money off of her dancing and singing yeah. and she's not going to be dancing and singing much if she's pregnant yeah. I, I mean you know who can she have as a boyfriend where she, can she yeah. drive and so on I mean it makes you think of Stalinist Russia only instead of a gulag she's sent to a Las Vegas residency yeah and very people really image, yeah really reacted negatively and to I it. think they reacted negatively to it because the power of the state to step into your life and allow someone to make decisions for you, whether it's a government official or whether it's, you know, your dad as a conservator or whatever, is a very scary concept. I mean, we have, you know, movies uh, and books and TV shows about how frightening it is that the powers that be sort of, you know, scoop you up, grind, put you through the system and you get ground up and spit out the other end if you ever come out at all. And that's a really, I think, primal human fear that society will sort of take advantage of me. This is a great example of how uh, these, you know, fears are, are founded. There there are those out there who want to make money off of you. There are those out there who will, you know, use their power uh, through the system to take advantage of you. And so it's a really scary, it's a really scary reality to see sort of the conspiracy theory with a fear that we see in movies of, oh, you, somebody gets locked up in a loony bin. It's the same thing. This woman who clearly does not have a severe cognitive impairment gets 
stuck for decades under a conservative, well, years under a conservatorship that is usually appropriate only for people who have severe cognitive impairment like dementia or some have a stroke and brain damage or or something else where they can't really make any life decisions for themselves and they need a, a probate conservator. Now, it, they didn't even give them give her the right kind of conservatorship. If you have a mental health crisis that is likely to pass, we have a whole system for, you know, a 72 hour psych hold followed by uh, an application for a one-year conservatorship where you say, Mm -hmm. look, this person's going through a crisis and we're going to solve this problem for her in 365 days from now. She's going to be able to take the reins back and live her own life. And there's, you know, it's a high bar to get that sort of a year conservatorship. After that year, you can reapply for a new one, but it has to be, it's totally independent. You'd think of all the cases that they'd get it right in this one. Yeah, you'd think. But they didn't. But instead, because there's so much money available to be made off of having an indefinite conservatorship, they go with the severe brain damage dementia type indefinite conservatorship and boom they get it because they got the best lawyers to make sure that jamie spears makes the most money off of britney forever right. and just like everybody and jamie's not the only villain here you know she's got agents she's got record companies she's got her, her las vegas residency right. they all uh, would prefer her to have less freedom and to be making them more money and it's a really horrifying scenario and because her fans out. there at the courthouse uh, all of them they wanted the conservatorship to be totally ended then and of course it wasn't the judge uh, allowed this new conservator to, mm-hmm. to come in on a temporary basis. And then on November 12th, they're going to have another hearing. And I think there's no way the judge was going to end the conservatorship uh, immediately because the nightmare scenario is, okay, the dad is a flaky guy, but there's this second conservator, a woman who is in charge of, of health. And it, it, the judge hasn't heard from her. And so if the judge just ended the conservatorship, the nightmare scenario is in a few weeks, Brittany does something crazy, yeah. dangerous to herself or her kids or others. And so I think it was never going to happen, even yeah. though the crowd absolutely. Judges are naturally very conservative. They're not prone to making huge jumps and changes all at once. They're going to do things basically as incrementally as they are allowed Especially to do. Especially if they're worried about being second guessed. Yes, which they are in the public eye, of course, in this kind of a case. When we come back, the R. Kelly verdict is in the books. But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, when you download us on your podcast platform uh, and you, you, know, you wander into your podcast app and you think, hey, I'd like to listen to something because I'm on my commute or I'm in the shower, or I'm on a jog or whatever. And you think, I'll download the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. Wait, before you download the next episode, just hit subscribe, just hit join, just hit follow, just hit whatever your podcast platform's uh, button of choice is that means that you'll get us every week and you get added to the tally of folks who want to get us every week which feels great on our end we love it and leave us a little review five stars we love you royal and connor you're the best uh especially connor and you know leave us a comment we read every single comment so please check us out we'll be right back This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And R. Kelly is in trouble. Uh, he very. pissed away <laughs> very, his freedom. Very much. So uh, f- most folks are familiar with the fact that he was on trial, racketeering trial in New York uh, and uh, sexual slavery. The defense lawyer tried to make it a civil rights matter. It didn't really work. He tried to portray R. Kelly as a generous and caring partner who treated women like gold. Uh, the accusers uh, were uh, uh, portrayed as hustlers and groupies and stalkers. 
Uh, and the, the defense tried an interesting technique, Connor. They got the accusers to admit that they spent 50 to 60 hours with the prosecution team getting ready for the mm. testimony. And right. the defense theme was, you don't have to practice to tell the truth. Mm. Yeah. And of course, that's a little silly because there's nothing wrong with lawyers meeting with, with potential witnesses. Yeah. And they all would say the same thing. The lawyers say, tell the truth, absolute truth. But let's go over the issues that are likely to arise. Here's what I plan to ask. You, here's what they're likely to ask you. Yeah. It may sound fishy to yeah. folks who aren't uh, familiar with trial proceedings. But I think it's easily undermined by the uh, prosecution uh, explaining, hey, folks, you would really want to be prepared if you were going to testify in court, sure. right? This is a really uncomfortable scenario for everybody. The people sitting in the jury box can feel the palpable discomfort of a witness who has to stand in front. of and nobody likes giving a presentation in class in eighth grade about, you know, the Aztecs or whatever. This is that times 10,000. There's cameras and, you know, and, 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 and reporters scribbling notes. There's people in a jury judging you. There's a guy whose life is effectively at stake. There's a lot of pressure. That is an easy narrative, I think, for prosecutors to, uh, to undermine. I think the other, you know, uh, telling anecdote um, from this, this case was, was when the, uh, the, the plaintiffs, sorry, the defense lawyers for R. Kelly, the defense lawyers for R. Kelly wanted to introduce evidence uh, about some of the accusers' activities that they would use to paint them as effectively promiscuous uh, attention and money seeking liars, right? Mm -hmm. That was their goal. Their goal, not just it doesn't take, you know, uh, it doesn't take practice to tell the truth, but just generally, these people are promiscuous, money and attention seeking liars. That is a very by the book playbook uh, defense strategy that has been employed for effectively a hundred years in American, you know, like in, in the history of all uh, high profile cases where where men are on trial for misdeeds, that has always been the defense strategy. And it's a very effective fallback strategy until now, perhaps. There, this anecdote, which gets reported in the New York Times, is that out of earshot of the, the, the jury, the judge has a sidebar with the lawyers, which is a totally normal thing. And the, they're discussing what evidence is going to be brought into evidence and shown uh, to the jury. Mm -hmm. And the defense lawyers want to bring in uh, a, a piece of evidence regarding one of the accusers uh, pend uh, penchant um, for and specific instance of uh, promiscuous dancing, twerking, going to a uh, concert and dancing in a sexually suggestive manner. And the judge says to the lawyer, look... It's 2021. Can you get to 2021, please? Can we operate on the same plane? That sort of evidence yeah. is not coming in. That's not the argument because we're going to be Because she twerked doesn't mean right. he didn't uh, violate the law. Exactly. And that's what you her. need is you need these gatekeepers in the legal system to determine the terms, sort of the Overton window of like the, the realm of acceptable discourse. What are we discussing in front of the jury? Because if you allow prosecu prosecutors or defense lawyers to bring in whatever evidence they want and discuss and, you know, tell ridiculous stories and, and, and make up narratives, then juries will be confused. And, and even and, if it has some probative value, it right. could be vastly outweighed by and the that, prejudicial of effect. Is this massive, this important, uh, you know, scale, whales, weighing of the scale, weighing of the scales, whales, weighing <laughs> of the scales that judges have to do prejudicial value versus probative value. Almost every piece of evidence has prejudicial value. 
it will prejudice the jury one way or another because humans are going to make connections and be prejudiced about things that aren't, you know, really, uh, really appropriate in there. And so it, it, it really is a difficult decision that these judges have to make. But I'm glad to see that at least some of them are making the right call in this tough situation with the eyes of the world on them. And maybe the eyes of the world being on them helped to make that. So the trial went on for six weeks. Uh, 11 women and men accused R. Kelly of abuse. The deliberations just lasted nine hours. And uh, it was really disturbing graphic graphic testimony with the witnesses describing sexual and physical abuse. Uh, And the sentencing is going to be on May 4. He could get life behind bars. You know, uh, he had this big hit, I Believe I Can Fly. So if he's in the exercise yard at the prison, he's probably going to hope that it, it really comes true. But it probably yeah, probably, probably not. isn't. Probably. So bottom line is he was found guilty of racketeering uh, and uh, seven women, five men on, on the jury. And he's got more trouble. He's got a second federal case in Chicago. He's got a sex crime allegation in Minnesota as well. Uh, he beat the rap in 2008. He was found not guilty of uh, uh, sexual misconduct. But um, this time his luck ran out. Hey, when we come back, we are going to talk about how John Hinckley is about to taste freedom, the Ronald Reagan shooter. So stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. I'm Connor Oaks. So when Ronald Reagan was elected uh, president and then inaugurated in January uh, 1981, Uh, He was looking ahead at at least one term, and uh, less than two months later, it appeared for a while as if the whole dream was snuffed out because John Hinckley, uh, the nutcase who was obsessed with Jodie Foster after seeing her in the movie Taxi Driver, uh, wanted to impress her. He'd actually stalked her at her uh, college there at Yale. And he, he came up with the brain surgeon idea that, hey, if he were to shoot Ronald Reagan, uh, he'd get on her radar screen and she'd be impressed with him and they'd live happily ever after. Right. Sounds nutty. And the Washington, D.C. jury said to themselves and to the world, yeah, that is it was nutty. nutty. Yeah. He was a victim of psychosis and they found him not guilty by reason of insanity. Which so, doesn't mean he walks, of course. No, he goes to St. Elizabeth's uh, Hospital for the criminally insane. And so what happens now after decades of basically keeping his nose clean behind bars, because apparently since the early 80s, there hasn't been much uh, evidence of any mental illness, no violent behavior. Yeah, the judge in this case said uh, he's displayed no symptoms of active mental illness and no violent behavior and no interest in weapons since 1983, which uh, I'll say I was negative six. So that was a a long time ago. We're talking almost 40 years ago, last time he did anything sort of troubling uh, from from the uh, the system's perspective. Uh, And the judge said, quote, if he hadn't tried to kill the president, uh, he would have been unconditionally released a long, long, long time ago. But everybody's comfortable now that after all the studies, all the analysis, all the interviews and all the experience uh, with Mr. Hinckley. So it really comes down not to an empirical question, I think, at this point. It's not a matter of, well, do we think he's going to kill again? Is he going to get re-obsessed with a new celebrity and try to kill the president again? No, unlikely, given you know the expert's view. The question is, are we as a society comfortable with sort of restorative psychiatric treatment for people that we determine have done terrible, terrible things, like tried to kill somebody? I think we should be. We certainly aren't as uh, at a base level. That's why there's so much discussion about it. It's not like a, a sort of a, a oh, a top a water cooler. John Hinckley's out. I hope he uh, manages to stay, straighten up and fly and fly right and have the good rest of his life. No, people's attitude is. 
Well, I mean, if you try to kill the president or you try to kill somebody, shouldn't he just rot forever? I mean, that's our instinct. Of course, there is an issue as to what kind of conditions should be imposed. As I understand it, um, whereas he has been released uh, a lot in recent years, Mm -hmm. first for weekends, then for a month or a time and so on. And now it's been more or less full time, but he's been living with his mom and Mm -hmm. his mom died at 95 over the last summer. So he's still in that house. But he's had conditions. He could only drive 30 miles. He could have absolutely no contact with Jodie Foster or any members of the family of Ronald Reagan or James Brady or his other victims. He can't uh, get anywhere close to the current president or VP or members of Congress. No social media accounts, no contact with the news media. Those have been the conditions. So, so I understand it. what the judge is saying now is that as long as he keeps his nose clean through June of next year, he will be free, absolutely free, with no conditions. And I mean, doesn't that raise a question? Maybe shouldn't a guy like this uh, have a lifetime, uh, you know, restraining order in terms of getting near Jody Foster or carrying yeah. a gun. He, he can't carry a gun now, but if there are no conditions, he'll be able to get, to get a gun. Yeah. Uh, presumably, he hasn't been convicted of anything. I mean, if he's yeah. in a state where you can carry a concealed weapon, and Jody Foster happens to be uh, given a speech in Austin, Texas, or whatever, is it okay that he's there? I mean, one of the things he did was kind of sneaky. I, I may have mentioned this uh, in a previous show. They let him out for a weekend a few years ago, and they said, where are you going, John? Oh, I'm going to a movie. And he didn't. He went to a bookstore. And what did he look up? Himself. He looked up books about assassinations and and John Hinckley's attempt to shoot Ronald Reagan. So the guy sounds a little sneaky to me. I'm not sure that that even setting aside the fact that he was the president, I'm not sure that we should just totally cut him loose. Are you comfortable with that? It's a tough tough call because um, it's really hard to put our trust completely in a system that none of us really pay a lot of attention to until somebody like John Hinckley starts to get out. But but there is, you know, this system that generally tilts towards being horrifically overly restrictive to uh, felons, ex-felons, people in prison, people who get out of prison, people on parole, people who have restrictions, people who get out, uh, how long you're on, you know, restrictive, all this stuff. It's not like we have to worry that our our legal system is going too easy on people as a general rule, right? Generally, we know that, in fact, it goes pretty hard on people, like way, way over uh, the top on on punishment, uh, on retributive justice. Um, And so when we think about, you know, well, should we in this specific scenario uh, keep somebody sort of on a leash somehow or on monitor, um, you know, we really shouldn't think about that. In the individual case, because you can always come up with a bad, worst case scenario where something goes horribly wrong. Instead, we should think about the vast majority of people who have committed crimes like his that we believe we he, they have rehabbed from, either served their sentence or benefited from medical treatment and psychiatric uh, treatment uh, for decades. And the vast majority of those people are not recidivists. The vast majority of those people just go about their lives. Maybe they do some crappy stuff. Maybe they're shady. Maybe they're sneaky. Maybe they're bad people. Guess what? Lots of people are bad people. I'm I'm kind of bad people. I do shady stuff all the time. I wouldn't want the I whole ha- world I happen monitoring. to know that's not true. Oh, that's nice of you to say. So you raised the issue a couple of minutes ago of the identity of the victim, famous yeah. victim or non-famous. Yeah. And of course, you know, what comes to mind is the recent story about Sirhan Sirhan, yep. who shot Robert Kennedy in 1968. Exactly. And uh, so he's up for parole. Initially, the two member uh, com- member uh, uh, commission of parole board folks said, yes, he gets sprung. It has to be rubber stamped by the full board. And then Governor Gavin Newsom, who's still in office now, uh, will get the final decision. And right. there was a debate. And a liberal Harvard law professor Lawrence Tribe 
uh, said, you know what? Um, yeah, it's unlikely Sirhan's going to go out and shoot anybody. And yeah, he's a frail old guy now. But doggone it, he deprived tens of millions of Americans of the right to vote for Robert Kennedy. And to me, that means he deserves to rot in prison for the rest of his life. Now, he was convicted. Hinckley wasn't. But, I mean, if you believe in that Lawrence Tribe approach, that let's, let's think about the fact that uh, the victim was Bobby Kennedy and not a 7-Eleven clerk. Shouldn't it apply to some degree uh, uh, with respect to this guy tried to deprive America of Ronald Reagan's eight years and uh, okay wasn't convicted, but we know he did it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he served his time in the mental hospital. But, you know, does it matter uh, whether Hinckley's victim was famous? I think there's two ways to think about it in terms of thinking about the moral value of killing somebody important. I think that's the wrong way to think about it. I think Lawrence Tribe, if, he, if that's what he said, is is thinking about it wrong. He's going about it wrong. Because killing somebody important is is buying into the notion that some people, rich and powerful and whatever, white and male or whatever, whatever bar biases are going in, are more important. The well, what about danger, the death penalty? You get the death penalty in California if you kill a witness to silence them. Right. Whereas if but you kill the 7-Eleven clerk, yeah. you don't get the death penalty. But that's, is that but okay? That's just not, that's not just piggybacking on... Um, uh, you know, the identity of the victim in order to accomplish some other policy goal, which is to dissuade people from killing uh, people to silence them in, in the legal system or dissuade people from killing cops because cops are constantly, you know, in the line of fire in terms of uh, stopping crimes, allegedly disagree, but whatever. Like this is these laws are in place, not because cops uh, are, are more important, arguably, um, but because we want we we fear that people will specifically target, for example, witnesses who are going to testify in trials, and we want to make it really prohibitively dangerous for them to do so. So I I think the the important thing is to think you know is it more important to have uh, say say you could have a longer prison sentence or a harsher punishment for trying to kill the president than for trying to kill a normal person? That is a no, that's a fine thing for me because a lot of people might want to kill the president. A lot of people might be you know if we have some idea that well it's it's deterrence we we have a, a longer sentence or a harsher pun, a punishment for for killing somebody who is politically important that we might avoid some political assassinations and that's a good thing. Does that really work? Are crazy people actually persuaded by his prison sentences? No, but maybe maybe it works. Maybe that's and that maybe that's the justification. It's certainly not the justification that presidents are just more important or better than 7-Eleven clerks. Cuz they're not. They're just people. All right, are you ready for guess the verdict? Always. Okay. I'm I was born ready. This is how we finish off every episode. Yes. I give Connor the facts of a case and okay. you see if you can get this right. Mortiza Farrakesh was accused of smuggling $2 million worth of morphine. Awesome. The crime, alleged crime might have gone undetected, but he flew into JFK in New York City. Um, he could have easily flown to a, a less customs-intense airport, but he chose Never. JFK to take advantage of a super-saver fare that only worked if he flew through New York. Oh, my God. So uh, he goes to trial. Uh, Connor, um, based on these limited facts, so what do you think happened? To <laughs> this seems like gentleman. a slam dunk. I'm going to say guilty. I appreciate that you're giving me the softball in order to keep my batting average high. That's good. I'm sure next week I'll get smacked down by something really complicated. But what a friggin' idiot. Oh, my God. A $2 million of morphine. Uh, I think you could afford uh, to, to, you know, 
go for first class. They don't even check your bags. They just wave you through. Oh, first class ticket? Well, please come on through. They should be the opposite. It's the first class tickets that are smuggling millions of dollars of morphine. Nobody's flying Spirit Airlines and smuggling a million dollars of morphine. Yeah, those people are fine. Pass them through. Well, you're absolutely right. You got this one right. Uh, this gentleman has 20 years in prison to wow. figure out exactly how much money he saved on the Super Saver flight. That'll do it for Too Many Lawyers. Y'all have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>